Hello and welcome to episode 127 of In The Move Podcast. I'm Callum Reid. And I'm Peter Shepherd. And it's going to be a less drunken episode this week than last week. Shouldn't be hard. <laughs> Although I do actually have more more cans of Red Stripe in the building than yeah. I did at this point last week. But, but uh, not to hand. Well, not immediately. <laughs> I just don't want to. You just need like a Wallace and Gromit type system going on. Yeah, except um, uh, instead of uh, cheese, it's um, Jamaican lager. <laughs> um, when Irini comes on, by the way, we're going to have to have ouzo or something. Just I've, got black, I've got black sambuca, does that count? Mm, well, it looks... Is ouzo you, black? Uh, well, no, but it's, zambuca is basically the Italian equivalent. So it's like the double disparagement. She's probably just throwing stuff at the ceiling right now. <laughs> Um, what's uh, Grappa then? Gra- surely Grappa's worse, right? Oh, I don't know. I've never had it. Oh, no. Burns your throat. Mm. Um, okay. It's the week of the epics. <laughs> I can't believe you've seen these two epics. What epics is I? What's the other epic? I the Hobbits. Oh no no no! I know you mean the Hobbits and epic. I was thinking, what's the other epic? There's nothing big scale here, and I realised you just mean in terms of length. Yeah, <laughs> size matters, obviously. <laughs> Always. Mm. Okay. Um. Any news? Non-film. Uh, non-film. Um. Talk I about snuck- sports personality. Yeah, that's a joke. Um, that was a but- shock. Ugh, I just- he was clearly gutted. I like uh, Formula One in general over the years, but I mean, when you've had Sebastian Vettel win it four years in a row because he had the best car, and then you take him out of the best car, and he suddenly, uh, or he had the best car, and he was better than Mark Webber, and you take him out of the best car, and then suddenly he's nowhere, and then you put Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg in the best car, and suddenly they're number one and number two, yeah. and all it means is that he's better than um, I think Coulthard, David Coulthard actually said it's 20% the driver who wins the Formula 1 tw- uh, championship 80% the car, 20% the driver and he'd know mm. yeah because he had the best car twice at Williams and McLaren and never won because Hakkinen was better than him and won back to back and I think uh, Damon Hill won uh, for Williams over him and then uh, Villeneuve won for Williams over him yeah <laughs> But yeah, Rory. Yeah, Rory. I mean, back-to-back majors, um, uh, Ryder Cup. Um, it's he it just. I can get if I if I could get on board with the idea that it is the personality issue, but um, it's not that the sports personality just doesn't mean the sporting person's personality. It means the sports person of the year in terms of achievement. Yeah, and and it's clearly clearly McIlroy. Yes, agreed. It's any other sport? Quickly. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, I, I briefly, for like two days, snuck above my uh, brother in the uh, uh, Jaguar Land Rover Dream Team <laughs> League. Why is that? that? In, it's because that's who my brother works for, so <laughs> I'm in his work's Dream Team. And uh, 
I snuck above him into second place for about two days, but then Hazard scored last night and put, uh, got set back. <laughs> okay. All right, so this week's news. We'll start with some news about the Berlin Film Festival. Right. It exists. It's happening, is it? it it's happening. It's not been called off. The, the wall is still down. And um, it's announced its first 2015 titles. And firstly... Night of Cups has been announced, which is the new film from Terrence Malick. Right. Um, this is the... It stars Christian Bale, Natalie Portman and Kate Blanchett. Ew. And the plot is as follows. Once there was a young prince whose father, the King of the East, sent him down into Egypt to find a pearl. But when the prince arrived, the people poured him a cup. Drinking it, he forgot he was the son of the king, forgot about the pearl and fell into a deep sleep. It's like the fountain meets Enchanted. <laughs> but if you watch the trailer, it's nothing. It's it just looks like a, a comment a on film. A, no, it looks like a comment on Hollywood. Well, it does look like a Terrence Malick film, but it looks like Christian Bale's going to all these parties. It's sort of like Malick does the bling ring. Oh God! By and it kind of looks a bit Gaspar Noé-ish. In you know, visually. Yeah. Mm. So we'll see. But we like him, so... Yeah, we've got time for him. We do. Unlike many others. Like Gaspar Noe. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else do. Uh, also at Berlin, a film called 45 Weeks, which is from the director of Weekend, which we uh. talked about last week. 45 years, sorry, is the name of it. Um, is that I, how long the uh, Peter Jackson's next film is? <laughs> or Sailor Lands. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it stars Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney. And it is really? about, basically, they're having the 45th wedding anniversary and Tom Courtney fi- finds out that his first love has been found dead um, in the Swiss Alps. And presumably, from then on, the things get fraught. Sh- shenanigans ensue. Yeah. In the least the weekend of ways. <laughs> Hopefully, because God, that was horrific. Grim. Grim. We'll get on to him later. Yeah, thank you, Jody. <laughs> Thankfully, slightly more dignified. <laughs> Where's Peter at all when you need him? <laughs> Um, next at Berlin, Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Mm, that, that, uh, yeah, I like the trailer for that. So that's Blanchett again. Mm. That it looked potentially very fun. I, I don't think I've seen a trailer. Has it, it had like eight million views. Had like eight. No, it was so, uh, someone put it on Facebook. Uh, so it was on a friend of mine's uh, news news feed for Facebook, and it had like eight million views in a day. And uh, Chris Chris Weitz has done the screenplay. Yeah, is that the that's the about a boy guy, right? Yeah. Didn't he do um? Didn't he do a Snow White and a Huntsman or something like that? The Golden Compass. That's the one. <laughs> it's not really so, like that. <laughs> something that bankrupted New Line. <laughs> <laughs> did it? Yeah, yeah. Because I actually they, didn't mind the Golden Compass. No, what they did was stupidly they sold the um. Uh, international rights and then it made 
they kept the, so they got the 300 million budget or whatever it was and then they only got the 70 million back from them because it bombed in America and so it actually made money <laughs> yeah that's something they could have foreseen though surely because especially with Kidman as well Kidman's films always do better um, internationally she's uh, th- that is the only way that I will ever compare her to Garbo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, she's been compared to Grace Kelly. Why not Garbo? <laughs> uh, right. She was compared to it, not favourably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody got out of that favourably. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, the last film, Berlin. It's like saying my... <laughs> I'm not going to. What? No, go on. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. It's like saying all of my ex-girlfriends compared to um, uh, Monica Bellucci. They didn't compare well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're going to have to do a... Just as I wouldn't compare well to any handsome actor they care to name. You're going to have to do a Jack Nicholson in Something's Gotta Give. And... I thought you were going to say in, in The Witches of East we can just get up and go Barabbas. <laughs> okay. Alright. I was going to talk about the next film at Berlin but it stars James Franco so... And we're yapping on too much. Let's go. Yeah. Okay so um, the Screen Actors Guild nominations were this week. Really? And um, I did text you about this because something... Rather strange happened. Naomi Watts in Saint Vincent. Saint Vincent, uh, which is the the best that film will ever be referred to as. Um, which what do you make of this then? The supporting actress lineup. The, so it, the lineup what's, in what's the full. Whole lineup? Well, it's mm. it's Arquette in Boyhood, mm. Keira Knightley in The Imitation Game, Ugh. Emma Stone in Birdman, Meryl Streep in Into the Woods, and Naomi in Saint Vincent as the whore with a heart. You know what, I guess the only thing I can compare it to off the top of my head, because uh, I've forgotten you are going to ask me about this, is uh, did Robin Wright get in for She's uh, So Lovely? That makes sense. 97, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, um, that's lead though, right? Is yes. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I just put I put that down to their strange Casavetta's obsession. I mean, they did not garner for the notebook as well. But uh, Is it so, not this, this role though? Because this... This is kind of a very popular role with awards uh, bodies in the past. Like, you know, you've got the... I can't think of any to hand. There's loads, though. <laughs> Candy Pretty Clark. That, Pretty yeah, Pretty Woman. Melina McCoury. Mm. Um, Marissa Tomei isn't a whore, but she kind of looks like one. No. And she's the comic relief. Mm. It seems like these kind of comic relief bimbo characters... How is she the comic relief? Are you, oh, you don't, you don't, you're not talking about the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> we both said that Naomi wasn't great no um, I don't think she was great no and I'm a big fan of hers but uh, it's again it's Arquette's the only I, I, I don't think Arquette's that good I, I think there, there were there were false notes in her performance but I'd certainly, not, certainly nominate her and she I'd certainly nominate her yeah I, th- I thought her and I, I thought Kira was uh, decent. I would say they were both decent, not good. I suppose it depends on how you uh, how you respond to Kira's final scene. The rest of it is a total nothing for the role. I don't, I don't, I don't blame her. Apart from the the slapping scene, 
It's, it's not exactly Ruby D, is it? <laughs> Again, comparing. Not necessarily favourably. <laughs> uh, I wonder what Henry Togner would have made of Naomi. Good old Henners. Well, he'd have known that it was cash, my dear. <laughs> but is the transaction elevated? <laughs> the transaction. If the woman is Russian. Uh, for anyone who doesn't didn't hear our one the other week, this is a reference to me <laughs> quoting Roger Ebert's Memoirs of a Geisha Review, where he quoted good old Henry Togner for the definition of prostitution, because that's what that's what uh, Pulitzer-winning film criticism really is. Mm. Um, you've got three words to describe Naomi Watts's Oscar chances for Saint Vincent. <laughs> Must I, Cal? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, best Ensemble nominations. Birdman, Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, and The Theory of Everything. Okay. Um, so Grand Budapest, 17 people in that ensemble. Whatever. All of whom are famous, apart from yeah. a couple. Um, best actor, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. What do we think of this? Um, going oh, into pu- it? Purely preconception based on the trailer. I don't like it. I don't like the look of it. I think it looks as if it's makeup heavy. I think it looks as if it's boring. That's just a preconception based on the trailer. And I, I'm really worried about this film, even though it's Bennett Miller, and I really shouldn't be because I, I love Capote and I thought Moneyball was really good. Even though, But this is the thing. I thought Moneyball was going to absolutely suck because of the subject matter and um, the fact I hate the A's. And I ended up really liking it. So You would expect the filmmaking to be good, if yes. nothing else. Mm. Um, but, Be- Benedict Cumberbatch in Imitation Game. Jake, eh. Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't think it's a brilliant performance, but I think it's a brilliant choice. I'm not surprised that the actors have responded to that, really. Because, mm. you know, he seems like he would be popular. And it's a very committed performance. Yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton in Birdman and Eddie, Med- Eddie Medrain? Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. Speaking of which, I just did you see that trailer for uh, uh, the new what, sci-fi film, what was it, the other day? Eddie Redmayne's playing the baddie, and he looks what? absolutely flat-out atrocious. He's it's the so, baddie? I could never imagine him as the baddie. Mila Kunis is like the main woman who's going to save the world. Um, well. Re- <laughs> with hotness. <laughs> with gravitational pull. Magnetic oh, energy. Oh, of, all, of all the men gravitating towards her, yeah. Jupiter Ascending. That's the one, yeah. It's the, it's the um, Wachowskis, is it? Okay, well... Ugh. I mean, Cloud Atlas was terrible, yeah. but I've got yeah. time for them. Yeah, no, he looks like worse than Lee Pace in anything he's been in this year. <laughs> no, he can't be worse than Lee Pace in uh, the. Was it the Hobbit? The last Hobbit? You haven't heard about Lee Pace in this Hobbit. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> we'll get on to that then. Um, best actress. Can Je- I just point out that I, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to the Lee Pace in preconceptions before okay. any shouts? All right. Um, best actress Jennifer Aniston in Cake. Is this happening? This well, she gets the she got the Globe nom as well, as we'll get on to. So I. But that's no no well. Recently they've been really funny with that. Yeah, um, but that's really encouraging for her. I would be really happy to see her get a nomination, just c- kind of as a way of people saying, "What the hell have you been doing?" Well, no, with, but this is the point. This... I remember. When she broke up with uh, Pitt, the, 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 the point was that apparently her main ambition in life was to win an Oscar. 
and then you just saw her filmography over the next five years, and you're like, are you kidding me? I just don't believe it. Your, yeah. your, your, your ambition cannot... I mean, okay, she'd done The Good Girl a few years before. If she Which carried was on all stuff, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't particularly, I'm not in love with it, but I mean, at least with that sort of film, if you were doing that sort of film, then you'd be, okay, fine, you might be. You might be trying to find that uh, indie breakout thing that your name is going to get into people's hands and, and yeah. they're going to respond to it, but she wasn't doing anything like that. No. Hasn't been doing anything like that. She didn't. She got lazy. Um, the breakup? This, this is... Well, that was... Wasn't that one of the more... There was the one with Gerard Butler. Where... Oh, God, The Bounty Hunter. Yeah. Love Happens as well. Um, no, the only good thing in that was John Carroll Lynch and Judy Greer. As always. Yeah, guess what role she had? Aniston's friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this is from the director of Won't Back Down, and it is an indie, and it is drama. She plays a depressed woman who um, whose friend Tre- commits suicide. So. Trepidatiously. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows? I watched the trailer, and she does look good in the trailer, but... Mm. Um, I think that's something that could, she could be the snub. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, the rest of the no- uh, category, Felicity Jones, Julianne Moore in Still Alice, Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon in Wild. Supporting actor, Robert Duvall. Nothing Duva- really surprising there. No. Supporting actor, Robert Duvall in The Judge. Now, he didn't even mention him um, as being either good or bad at the time. I don't remember you saying anything. He's fine. It's nowhere near. I mean, but it's just the role. He just has to be closed off, grouchy old bad guy, which he can do in his sleep. Mm. But it's um, no, it's it's not um, the apostle. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, rest... Just a total tour de force. I'm not seeing that, but I have heard great things about that. Um, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton, Mark Ruffalo, and Foxcatcher, and J.K. Simmons. The rest of the category, and we've also already gone through supporting yeah. actress Golden yeah. Globe nominations um, motion picture in drama Boyhood Foxcatcher The Imitation Game Selma which is the Martin yeah. Luther King yeah. film and the theory of everything yeah comedy musical Birdman The Grand Budapest Hotel Into the Woods Pride yeah yes. it's always hard to get a comedy for the, for the, for the Globes <laughs> I mean for them to find a decent one well, yeah. Loving of the drugs. Oh my god, that was grim. No, um, brothers was the worst. Brothers didn't, didn't Toby get in for brothers? Yeah. And um, Saint Vincent nominated for best comedy. It was funny. Mm-hmm. I'll give it that. Actor in a drama: Steve Carell, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jake Gyllenhaal, Eddie Redmayne. So four. Gyllenhaal's got both. Yep. And um, David Oyelowo for Selma, mm-hmm. which obviously that's a great role for him. Yeah. Um, best actress in a drama, Jennifer Aniston. It's it's the same as the sag line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, best actor in a comedy, Ray Fiennes, Michael Keaton, Bill Murray, Joaquin Phoenix in Inherent Vice, and Christoph Waltz in Big Eyes. So there's no Chastain when people were going on about her. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Is she the snub of the se- of the season? In what? Uh, just uh, most violent, yeah. She's in supporting. Yeah, that's what I mean. Though, I haven't uh, she hasn't been nominated for the big two, has she? She got the Globe, yeah. Uh, she got the Globe, okay. yeah. Best actress in a comedy: Amy Adams in Big Eyes, Emily Blunt in Into the Woods, Helen Mirren, Hundred Foot Journey. 
This is Lassa Halstrom again with them. Back like syphilis. <laughs> Julianne Moore in Maps to the Stars. Um, and Quavengineer Wallace in Annie. Validation. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. What do you what do you think about Julianne Moore being nominated twice there? Do you think she could win twice? Not for Maps of the Stars, I don't think so. No? Well, then again, you got it's less than 100 people. So, anything crazy things can happen. And Best Supporting Actor is the same as the SAG, and Best Supporting mm. Actress is the same as the SAG, except instead Chastain. of Naomi, it's Chastain. That's it. Seems more sensible. Lastly... Um, Although her wig looks terrible. It does, yeah. It looks... I don't know. Yeah. Um, lastly, foreign language. Um, what do you, the Globes, the Oscars? What are the, is the foreign language crossover? Do you think it's is not it big? much? Okay. Well, this is what they nominated: Sweden, uh, Force Majeure, Israel, Get the Trial of Vivian Amsalem, uh, Ida from Poland, Leviathan from Russia, and Tangerines from Estonia. Well, this is the thing. Again, you got hundred people in the room. Well, not you got a hundred people. So. Um... I think they uh, in 2002 I think it was they nominated Balzac and the Little Chinese Seamstress <laughs> which is actually quite a good little film and um, it's not it's not very uplifting but if you wanted something to just randomly dig out on it well there are so many Chinese films I've picked to watch before that quite frankly but <laughs> it's not uh, bad didn't they nominate Happy Happy or something maybe yeah but the, I always liked I, I like that you've got different people with different uh, foreign language criteria because there's no system that is going to work yeah. no system is going to work because you can do like the Oscars and you can say everybody gets a chance uh, you, uh, no one country can have more than one and, ev- ev- and everybody's got to watch every film to vote originally uh, that is equality and the problem with that equality is that you you don't, you can't have if there are two great French films that year you're screwing over one so you do it on the flip side and what BAFTA did for a while which is when they changed the rules so that everybody could vote even if you hadn't seen everything then all that meant was the films that got the biggest distribution got in and if you didn't have a, a multiplex level release in this country there was a five year period from 2006 onwards where you were not getting um, nominated uh, if, unless you did but the reason that the uh, Oscar nominations were so random is because everybody couldn't see everything, right? So they just picked, you know, No, it's because everyone could film. see everything. It's, the reason the Oscar ones were random is because they saw, everybody uh, uh, Everybody saw the films. So they saw all the films that nobody else had seen. They saw the random thing from Singapore. They saw the ran- random what, thing from all Thailand. 80? Yeah. Well, no, apparently you have to commit to at least a quarter. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. But you but, pick but then the total. But, but then the total of them... Uh, uh, everybody's seen the same amount of films, so nobody's uh, so nobody's seen more. N- n- there aren't more yeah. people who've seen the uh, Romanian one, unless it's got wide distribution, than have seen um, the uh, Turkish one. Yeah, well, that's what they do with the documentaries now. They portion them off, mm. and they send them out to people, and you could get anything. It's just random. Mm. Okay, um, preconceptions. Right. Yes, as we were doing, get Santa. The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, which is really the, the battle of the 50 pages in the children's book that we're milking this week. Um, <laughs> the Face of Love and Winter Sleep. So yeah. your preconceptions for Get Santa? 
Um, the trailer was insane. Mm. And um, I thought it had its moments. I think Jim Broadbent looked potentially funny in it. Really? I do like Rafe Spall in general. I thought he was good in Anonymous. And the one with Rose Byrne? Yeah, um, is that the one with Anna Faris? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. He was one of the better points of that. What was it called again? It was. It was. Um, I give it a year. I give it a year. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of, you know, highish on him in general, mm. and it just looked like it was going to be a good time. Mm. I quite like um, Rafe Spall. I thought. I think Jim Broadbent. Uh, when he does serious drama, he's one of our best actors. I think when he does silly, he's one of our worst. And um, so I was worried about uh, aspects of this. Um, but I agree, it did look crazy. And I was just hope, and I, I was hoping for something fun and entertaining. Okay. Uh, so The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, uh, you didn't see. Uh, I didn't see the last one. I saw this because we were on a slow week and I, it was potential. My preconceptions for this were that it's 160 minutes, so I thought it was going to be another Peter Jackson vanity fest. And uh, my preconception was that I didn't care about uh, the, uh, the all these interchangeable uh, uh, dwarves uh, that I didn't really care about. And I remember a tacked on romance with with the atrocious Orlando Bloom in the first one. And uh, but I did think the first one was quite good. It just I just couldn't be bothered. Whereas this week, just because of the specific week, I could. Okay, I can't even remember what happened in the second one, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really want to see this, mm. especially if we were going to watch Winter Sleep in the same week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it back to back days, bitch. <laughs> Braver man than me. Mm. Uh, Face of Love. Did you know anything about this? Or... Maybe once upon a time, not anymore. Okay, I knew this was Annette Benning. Um, but I didn't really know the plot. But I do like Annette Benning. I didn't used to. Um, mm. Like, around the American Beauty time, I wasn't really big on her, but... You were a team swank. At that point, yes. <laughs> she was. She has a penchant for overacting. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I did... I thought the overacting in being Julia, for instance, worked. Mm. Um, and I do like her in the the grifters to go back. Uh, yes, I like, I like her. I like her in the grifters a lot. Yeah, um, kids were alright. I thought she was good, and um, so I was quite looking forward to seeing if she could do something. I didn't know who else was in it. Mm. Uh, Winter sleep. Yeah, um, Ceylon, um I first dug out probably around two thousand six ish when I was looking at. Um, the old uh, Oscar submission lists, and I saw, and Uzak had a small reputation, but um, uh, it at least had one. Yeah. Um, so I saw, I, I saw that, and I, I thought it was slow, but I thought it was decent. Then I saw Climates uh, in the cinema, um, and I, li- I like that, but I love Manola Darkus's review of it. Um, uh, but then Three Monkeys came along, and I absolutely adored it. I thought it was just brilliant. Um, so by that point, I was really sold on him, and then I liked uh, Once Upon a Time in Alatolia not that much. <laughs> I thought it was, uh, I thought it was okay with about seven Ys. I didn't, still didn't think it was bad. But when people, I remember because uh, my taste uh, with uh, foreign in inverted commas, just to use the word, because other people do, 
auteurs, I mean, Michael Bay's an auteur, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, with, with people like that, um, I tend to dislike them. And someone once asked me, do you like anything slow, Pete? Like people like Bellatar, or Carlos Regardas, I've got no time for whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but the, my response was, yes, I like Salahan. So with this, the fact it was 196 minutes, I thought was pushing it. I was expecting it to be boring, but I was expecting it to be beautiful as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I. the first thing I saw of his was Climates, and mm. I didn't like it. It's very intense. Yeah. I th- She's good. <laughs> I think the thing I didn't like about it, I, I didn't feel that it was true. I th- right. It felt very staged to me. Mm. Um, so it did look very nice. Mm. Um, but so I was a bit put off by that. But uh, once upon a time, in Antonio was playing at the London Film Festival a couple of years ago, so I I gave it a go and I thought it was brilliant. Mm. Just thought I thought it was I thought it actually went by quite quickly as well, considering the running time. Mm. But this winter sleep was I knew it was going to be half an hour longer than that, <laughs> and um, I'd heard pretty. Things from Cannes, people kind of saying it's a slog. Although right. it did get very good reviews at Cannes and it won the Palme d'Or, but there was, there was some backlash to it. Yeah. Um. So, but I, I was I was going into it thinking it was going to be worth a discussion at least. Yeah. I knew it won Cannes. That's a pretty good session. Which is not exactly positive. No, rarely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you're doing the plot of Get Santa, I see you? I am, yes. Mm. Get Santa. So this is about a kid called Tom who lives with his mother, who's Jodie Whittaker. Uh, his father, who's Rafe Spall, has just got out of prison on parole. It's the week leading up to Christmas. Tom, he's crashing his garden. He hears noises coming from the shed. And in the shed, he finds a man claiming to be Santa Claus, who is Jim Broadbent. Um... Jim Broadbent is distressed because he's crashed his sleigh, lost his reindeer. Um, he goes to retrieve his reindeer and from this nearby place that they've been taken to and he's arrested for trespassing. Uh, he gets put in prison and because he's in prison he claims that nobody will receive presents unless he gets out. Rafe Spawn, his son, uh, attempt to find the sleigh, gather up the reindeer, break Santa out of prison and thus save Christmas. I mean, it really is just a catalogue of first world problems, isn't it? <laughs> Parole's never been so easy. I oh, know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. What do you think about the way they set it up? I, mean, I think, actually, the tw- for 20 minutes went by quite quick. And I think um, they got enough in for the adults in that opening... Uh, I think to keep them on board long enough because they know where they're going with it. So but when you've got like the kid ringing up his dad saying Santa's in the shed and Rachel <laughs> saying do not go back to that man in the shed. <laughs> it's quite it's quite edgy. I mean really. I mean edgy I means it's not like happiness. <laughs> yeah but, but for, that's that's a legitimate reaction though. Yeah but this is yeah I mean this is the thing this is a film that's aimed at children and it has things that are aimed at the uh, adults which are true and real. That would be your reaction. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, 
the, see the beginning, I do think you're right. I think it gets a lot of characters in. It manages to do that pretty easily. But I think given how interesting some of the components like of the plot are, I don't think it... Um, I think it's a bit lazy. Mm. So the fact that Rafe Spall's character has been in prison, and you never... Do, I, if you find out why, I've forgotten. Do you find, he, do you find he was the why? getaway driver. Oh, okay. Of course, yeah. But it doesn't... I mean, he just, he never really considers the fact that he's risking that, um, his freedom at any point. No. Um, even though they could easily do that and still make him, like, from a script perspective, they could still have him be concerned. Yeah. And yet forced to go on the journey through certain things that happen. They're yeah. more interested in him being Patrick Dempsey in Enchanted, where he's just there to make the sort of like snotty, uh, disbelieving, uh, cynical comments. That's essentially his role in this. Yeah, and the kid basically runs the show. As Amy, yeah. We should use Enchanted well. as a... Well, yeah, he's not Amy. <laughs> so, um, to, who, so then, does, who, who's... Uh, uh, is... <laughs> Who's Timothy Spall? No, no. Oh, you were talking about... What were you talking about? Was it on Facebook or Twitter about Timothy Spall doing a Wix advert? Yes. Voiceover, which he's been doing for years, FYI. But can I just point out that I actually really want to respond. Um, it would have been even better if he did it as Tim Spall in Enchanted on that voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a lot better, yeah. No, I think he just won the European Film Award. Mm. It was on Twitter, and then he was he was in this Wix advert, and I'm thinking, come on, Tim, you can do better than that. <laughs> it's got his name on it. <laughs> oh God. Um, what do you think about the prison stuff? About bro- well, what about the preconception about Broadbent uh, that he's bad at comedy? I don't. Well, I think he's bad in comedy when he's trying to be funny. Um, I think um, it's hit and miss with Broadbent. There's a bit, few moments of cringe, but I think uh, when he gets, when he like tries to like persuade people, when he gets, when he gets more serious, I think it works better. Um, I, uh, I didn't know Stephen Graham was in this, and I really dislike him uh, in most of the things I see him in. But I actually liked him in this. Uh, this uh, I thought it was just a nice little performance. Um, and yeah. He tried, tried to do anything with it, and I think that's why it works. A bit like Michael Pitt in Iron Origins, in that respect. Um, but um, yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised because when I saw Stephen Graham in the credits, I was like, oh, really? He's the, he was probably the best person in the film. I'd... Yeah, yeah, I'd go along with that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Jodie's got nothing to do. Why is she in that? Why is she? I, I... Well, it's it's a it's good. Well, it's it's Anna Karenina in comparison with last week. She's <laughs> just there in flashback form. <laughs> well, she only gets like two scenes in this. Two That's or three terrible. scenes. Not, half of them were on the phone. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. Same lines to a different character. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I did like. Broadbent um, in the prison. I think the prison stuff is the height of the film. Uh, with the elf, the, the elf scene, which well, is sort of halfway between. Well, it's cringe. the straight out, straight out of Compton thing where he's walking with the dreads. <laughs> the um, the uh, get the out sound- my face. The, yeah, the soundtrack is very interesting. Actually, it's a mi- very very mixed bag. But I think I think probably was. Um, uh, emblematic of the film as a whole I, I'd say yeah 
Um, because it, there are ch- there are quite a few chuckles in this. Um, it, it is entertaining uh, enough, but then again, there's a lot of silliness as well, uh, and not in a uh, Billy Wilder <laughs> kind, <laughs> kind of way, in the least Billy Wilder kind of way. Yeah, the reindeer passing was yeah. a bit. Um, that was for the kids as well. It's though, like I guess. Padding- it's like Paddington with the earwax. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some contradictions which I don't like. Um, th- I really didn't like the fact that Broadbent knew everything about everyone. Yeah. Because that but doesn't make sense. Is, where the mom is. That's the thing that I took issue with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because basically, when they crash, fair enough, there's like magic powder. But by and large, it's quite a practical view of Santa Claus and the story. Mm. So when you start getting broadbent with this all mystical knowledge of everybody uh, and amazing memory, you think, you know, it doesn't quite ring true. It just seems like a... Well, it's not only that. Device. I mean, if, if, the, if the sleigh is that easy to drive that a race ball can do it straight away without having any practice, and Santa's like thousands of years old, why did he crash? Was he on the piss? <laughs> I've got a villa song on, coming on, on the piss, my lord. <laughs> This is a Ceylon level theorizing we're doing here. Yeah, I am. I am actually that character in uh, in uh, Winter's Sleep who is uh, supposedly nice, but just used it to belittle people. <laughs> I don't think he's supposedly nice. <laughs> we'll get onto that later. <laughs> Me or him? <laughs> oh, um, I like that they didn't push the broken family thing too much. Yes, I was about to say that. I'm really glad they uh, didn't go with trying to get him and Whisker back together. Yeah, because that could easily have happened. Mm. Um, yeah, I was I was half expecting to at one point, but um, yeah, better off better off left undone. Indeed. Um, there's a terrible cover of Christmas wrapping. <laughs> That's, and that's probably somebody famous actually it's probably like a famous girl group I might look that up um, Mystique Mystique <laughs> maybe 15 <laughs> years ago <laughs> um, it's all members of Eternal without Louise Redknapp <laughs> it's the Saturdays oh, right, okay. of course it is I love the Saturdays as well but no it's not their finest moment Uh, anything to add Um, it's a pretty harmless film I don't really think it's a great film no the CG's not too bad I mean it's not uh, amazing for the budget yeah 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 it's it's fine Um, I think kids would be entertained by this enough I think um, I think it ends quicker than the episode of Scooby Doo and it's pretty underwhelming in uh, in well (laughs) <laughs> it's not even a uh, safety not guaranteed ending is it really there's not, yeah, yeah. not even that much on it but um, no no it's because um... that's the other thing they could have gone the Miracle at 34th Street route where they like actually ask the question is he uh, real or a faker and so I suppose when they sort of go they only do that for about two minutes in the middle of the film and it's just completely. You know, it's not. You know, it's a, an attempted swerve. You don't buy any of the characters who dis, who who turn to disbelief. Yeah. Um, There's never any doubt. You'd have no. There isn't, and you'd have to go in a much more nuanced direction, which this film has no intention of doing. So I, I think it's just a bit of a cheap uh, plot cop out in the middle. Yeah. 
I think the the script seems rushed. I feel like it's been rushed to get it out for Christmas mm. because they could make a lot of tweaks and make this a lot more of a nuanced film, a lot more, just a lot more thoughtful in general. Mm. Um, so less trite. <laughs> yeah, and the reviews for this film are actually really good, really? Um, which I was surprised about because I think it's kind of okay at best. Yeah, it's average. Yeah. It's average. I mean, that's the perfect word to describe it. Yeah, but it's perfectly fine for well, um, TV repeats and things like that. Something to be shown at like um, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon on Channel Five on the twenty third of December every yeah. week, every year for the rest of our lives. Yeah, and you can watch it at your leisure, mm. or you can um... leave your child in front of it at their leisure <laughs> while you leisure. Yes. While you down brandy in the kitchen. <laughs> Day that ends in Y. <laughs> <laughs> C, forget Santa. Yeah. Um, uh, five out of ten. Cool. Alright. So, when I last... When I did the plot rundown of The Hobbit... Um, God, what was that first one called? An Unexpected An- Journey. <laughs> I unexpectedly turned it into a... Um, uh, <laughs> used a ga- yeah, I used a gangster rap... Um, uh, <laughs> run down for it. I've no intention of even giving this the uh, uh, respect of uh, even playfully uh, messing around with the plot of this. Um, so I um, hadn't seen the second film. If you the, basically what you've missed is Gandalf is like trapped and locked in a cage. Um, uh, the yeah uh, the the. Dragon's been awakened. Uh, oh yes, that happens at the end of the second one, right? Yeah, the dragon's been awakened, and um, the elves are doing something, and um, there's some birdie wants to shag a dwarf, and uh, it's in the in the least in Bruges of ways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's where's Michelle Williams and Peter Dinklage when you need them. Oh my god. <laughs> um... Peter Tinklage is gutted he didn't get the get Santa job. Really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was really crying his eyes on the paychecks from uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, uh, it's le- it, they've left it at a point where everything's about to kick off, which is basically where they left um, what they did with the, twi- with the second film for Lord of the Rings, where they're about to go again. And... Uh, so you see the uh, you see Smaug being desolated. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so wrong. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, you see the the dragon get killed, and then uh, the dwarves run into the mountain uh, to and uh, barricade it up uh, because they uh, don't want to share the uh, cursed gold in there with anybody else. And so Lee Pace says, uh, "Oh no, <laughs> oh no, boys, those jewels are mine." <laughs> The ears of Lee Pace. <laughs> well, no, it's the it's the horns of the horse or whatever the sodding thing. The moose horns. Uh, is a uh, why does the what why does the river Jordan and uh, so all these different. So you've got uh, the humans want want their want their share of it. The elves have come for it, and then there's a couple of uh, like orc armies on the way too, and some more dwarves and uh, partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> So do they all like kind of clash in this big Helm's Deep and I think that's what they wanted to happen, but Helm's yeah. Deep uh, but the the, the 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 
trouble with this is, um, and it's all right, mm-hmm. it's all right, but the trouble with this is that it's the preconception. This is a Peter Jackson vanity fest, and yeah. there is absolutely zero focus. There is zero uh, focus of narrative. There's no. Uh, it just cuts around. Things get dropped for thirty, forty minutes. Uh, strands get dropped. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the visuals are absolutely wow. When uh, there's a scene where the dwarves go after one of the orc guys and it goes up to the top of a frozen waterfall and you, you've got the the wind blip, uh, rustling over the top of it and it's absolutely beautiful. And it's stunningly photographed. Yeah. But but then you've got all these lame... What Orlando Bloom's character and the woman who wants to shag the dwarf... Have got in this film, and the, the, what they do is the first films. One of the problems of it was was the tone. I think in general it was fine, but they tried to go too silly. And with this, it's the opposite. They tried to go too serious because I think because it's the last one. Yeah. I think because it's la- I think what they did was they looked to the strengths of the original trilogy and tried to replicate them here. And in doing that, they've just completely fallen flat because uh, the relation there there were two main romantic. Uh, Relationships in in the first Lord of the Rings, you've got Liv Tyler and um, uh, Figo Mortensen, and then Miranda Otto uh, starts her feelings for him uh, while she's gone off somewhere. And both of those situations are actually quite, I found quite lyrical when you've got the unrequited uh, uh, stuff that uh, Otto's got going on, and then you've also, but then you've also got the um, uh, the sort of passion under the surface between uh, Tyler and uh, Vigo. It's I I I I bought into that. With this, you've got uh, exactly the same situation, actually. Uh, you've got uh, Orlando looking on while she doesn't want him, uh, but he's just such a woeful actor that he can't express any emotion. It's total smell the fart acting the whole, all the way through. And um, then with the woman and the uh, uh, one of the uh, dwarves, uh, there's nothing on it. I mean, they did, they did so much... Um, Vigo and uh, Liv did so much uh, uh, between the lines work they they really elevated and hinted at and shorthanded things, and they had a, an intimacy with each other that, uh, that make, let you fill in the gaps just from their body language. Yeah. Whereas with with this, there's nothing like. That. I mean, the best example of that is House of Flying Daggers, uh, Andy Lau and um, Zhang Ziyi when they finally meet up, and you see the that casual intimacy that former lovers have, uh, which you slip back into so easily. But then, when uh, it's not there anymore. Uh, you still have the casual intimacy, but the feelings aren't there, and your body's your body just, the person who doesn't feel anymore just droops. It's ah, sorry, perfect digression. Anyway, uh, so but none of that's none of that's here in this one, and that's uh, so you they're trying to go for the same things, but they haven't got the emotional underpinning. And uh, I think it's the same with the battle sequence. They tried to go for this because they really did it. Because the thing with Helm's Deep was, yeah, it, it was you just got one load of people trying to. But trying to stave off another load of people. Yeah. Whereas this, it's it's just it's, it's em- carnage. It's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's oh, these guys are coming now. These guys are coming now. These guys are coming now. These guys are coming. I think so- that's thing. That's the thing with action sequences. You need to have some kind of gauge of where people are at any given time and what their aims are. And this otherwise, this, it's just yeah. chaos. And so what you got is you got these. Uh, you got the uh, the um, orcs like um, uh, battling both dwarves and. Um, uh, Elves and what have you, and then uh, like four of the dwarves go up onto the top to try and you know, take cut the head off the snake, and then as soon as that's over, it's like oh the battle's over. What happened downstairs? 
<laughs> what? It's just it's it's and then and then it has the worst thing at the end where it's again it's like Lord of the Rings syndrome. Just, uh, sorry, Return of the King syndrome. It just re- refuses to know when to end. Yeah. And I think I think the extended version of the original Fellowship of the Ring was the worst thing that ever happened to this uh, uh, franchise. In the uh, people really liked it because like oh there's more. I really like the first one. There's even more scenes in this, and so it's just made Peter Jackson think yeah I don't have to cut a thing. Yeah, and even the Lord of the Rings. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the the second and the third Lord of the Rings, mm. but. I like all the films. Okay, yeah. Mm. I loved Fellowship. I thought it was really good. I think they lose a little bit of the bond as as it progresses. And I do mm. think parts of the two towers, it's just people walking around yeah, yeah. spouting crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, at least that was three books. Yeah. This is one book. Yeah, it's just I, so cynical. Um, and it's, it's ten hours. Well, it's not. It's about nine hours in total, but... The, t- the extended will probably be 10 hours. And it's not like you're, you've you got the BBC doing um, a 10, 50 minute, uh, for, uh, 10, 50 minute episodes of Anna Karenina. That was an 800 page book. Yeah. That merits it. And even then, that's too long. It's not like um, uh, Ticket Taylor Soldier Spy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Pride and Prejudice was six, and that was pushing it. That was milking every single. Literally, they shot the book. And that was what six hours? Yeah, yeah. Um, is Sylvester McCoy in this one? Yeah, I like him briefly, <laughs> but again, it just comes out of nowhere. And it, it's got again, it's got all the worst things of the, <laughs> the original. Story. It's like all the oh, suddenly the animals are turning up. What? What animals? You know how in like them uh, the original Lord of the Rings story, suddenly the eagles come and save them. Oh God. The trees. Yeah. The tree. <laughs> yeah this is the, it's, it's, it's got... It tries to go for the best. It does try to go for the best of the uh, things about the original trilogy, but it ends up giving all the worst and uh, uh, merely existing to show what they did so right the first time. Much like Brothers. <laughs> which we'll mention again. <laughs> all right, grade. Uh, is it another five? I really don't know. It was okay. You got to be really, decisive. You got to be yeah, decisive. Yeah, five, five out of ten, three stars. I, I, I don't think this one was actively bad. Okay. All right. So let's get on to the face of love. Mm. This is about Annette Benning. Uh, she's called Nikki. She and her husband, played by Ed Harris, are a happily married couple. They go on their annual holiday to Mexico. He gets high, goes swimming in the ocean and drowns. Right, as you do. As you do. Fast forward to five years later and she still has not really gotten over him, understandably. Mm. Um, She's friends with her neighbour who's played by Robin Williams, who would like to be more than friends, but she's resisting it. And she occasionally... Story of my life. (laughs) We're ending on One Direction. Oh, no. <laughs> no, we're not. I can't stand that. God, that's, that's a... Uh, did Sheeran write that? That's a hint. I think they wrote it. Whiffs of misogyny. Yeah, the 20-year-old kids giving insight into um, 
existence, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, she occasionally sees her daughter, who's played by Jess Wyler. One day, she spots a guy who looks exactly like her dead husband, which might be because it's Ed Harris. Again, yeah. And there's no attempt to make them look any different. Can we? I can't believe this. We've just got the second week in a row we've gone for um, Must Have Been Love. The finished one. Yeah. Yeah, which is was about somebody who loses Rom, like splits up with somebody and then finds somebody who looks exactly the same. Yeah. But there is facial hair to differentiate. As the what in Must Have Been Love. Yes. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, but, but not that was, in this. That was a beautiful um, allegory for um, uh, being with someone well, for the wrong reasons. Uh, is, is, if we got that here as well, or was that we do, point? we do, yeah. Um, but is yeah. it more more obvious? Obviously done this time. Well, so she sees this guy. He looks like a dead husband. She follows him to his work one day, and it turns out he's an art teacher. Um, and then she asks him for private art lessons and they, you know, they grow closer. So there is the thing, yeah, it is she's with him for the wrong reasons. And it's sort of got this Douglas Sirk vibe where the whole thing is an accident waiting to happen. Mm. You know, it's got the woman tested by life and love and the tentative romance and you know, the dramatic plot developments. So it's got all that. Um, and I think Cirque would have loved this because he what he did just love stories about women um, with problems. But... He'd have um, directed the shit out of it as well. He would have done as well. It's set in... It looks pretty good. I mean, it's set in LA though, so it's not exactly... Yeah, you're not dealing with something beautiful. Character. No. It's, it's pretty, but it's not got a lot of character. Um, but it's it's not without the flaws that some of his films had mm. uh, it's not up to the standard of most of his films but um, it's just what what brings this above like an entire grade above is the acting mm. because Benning is just terrific in this and it's it's more restrained for her, so I think you might like her in this. Hmm. Um, it's sort of like it's interesting because she's got, I think she's, she's sort of like the kids are all right. She's got the same role really. Hmm. She's an interior decorator, um, but she's just completely different from that. She's not. She hasn't. She hasn't got that. Julianne Water landscaper garden for her. <laughs> Landscape and prune and. The rest. It's too many easy puns there. <laughs> uh, but she's just so great because the first scene where she goes to talk to him at his school, she acts it so perfectly because she's got the tension of not knowing what he's going to be like, um, the, but the excitement of seeing him like as her husband or the reincarnation or whatever, kind of live and breathe and talk again, you know? Mm. So you can see all of that in her face you can see the, the hope excitement. that she'll feel the same thing yeah and then he, she starts talking to him and it's going okay um, although she's nervous and then as soon as he says the word kids she kind of she kind of loses it a little bit because like you can see that she's just seen him as 
the father and all the memories of them being parents and so I think it's really really well done um, and Harris as well the longer it goes is also really great because he has to walk this line between being confused by some of her strange behaviour like why she takes him to places and people think he's somebody else you know that mm. they've known for years and um so but he's also got to be kind of besotted with her you know and he's got to put up with it because he's just um he's really impressed by how open she is you know to him mm. which is and it's because she thinks she knows him yeah so it's got it's got a lot of interesting caveats there that could be exploited in a really good way Mm. And partly is exploited in a good way, but um, but without the two of them, this could have fallen off a cliff. Yeah, badly. And it does it does wane a lot, but it could have really gone bad. Um, it's because the situation is. It sounds it, like it could be really cheesy in a Nicholas Sparks kind of way. It kind of it gets there. Yeah, it's approaching. It's sort of like Nicholas Sparks meets Douglas Sirk, and right. it's somewhere teetering in the middle of that, or on the brink of disaster. Mm. But the longer it gets, the more rational things get for her, mm. um, and the more irrational things get, the worse it gets. Because mm. it has this thing where, fair enough, it's a completely crazy situation that you're not sure how you would approach it and it's not realistic Mm. but she's approaching it rationally and that's what's interesting about watching it unfold because it's sort of like somebody saying to themselves well you know trying to um trying to make it seem normal and act normally and approach it as a new relationship even though it isn't for her really yeah but as soon as she gets irrational the film kind of becomes like oh god okay it's going here Ed Harris is poor Ed Harris, you know. This character's going to be um, driven through the mill here. Um, yeah. And when that kicks in, there's a lot of contrivances. How he eventually finds out is really contrived. Mm. Um, and the end is really cheesy. Nicholas Barks cheese at the mm. end. Um, so, I'm kind of. They could have done a lot more with it. Um, it could have been I don't want to say Pippa Lee but it could have been more on that level it could have been more an exploration of the woman than an exploration of the um, situation yeah well, it's the thing is, it, 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 you were talking about this film it reminds me of I don't think you saw this one uh, remember that Juliette Binoche film I saw uh, that I really like, I think Another I Woman's Life yeah it? Yeah, yeah we're basically she uh, wakes up, goes to bed with a guy, and then ten years later she wakes up and she's like, they're ten years into that relationship. And uh, she, again, it's one of these ones where it, it is, uh, it's it's kind of like big, but she sounds like it. before I go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> but she she acts it. It's it's one of these sort of like a thirteen going on thirty type situations, but she acts it really uh, believably and perfectly. Uh, but uh, this is less gimmicky. It's more. Mm. Um, it's more it's very a woman's picture yeah you know it's it's more a lot of genre, genre based in a different way yeah yeah so <laughs> um 
But I do like that it's making a semi-mature story about 50-somethings in a romantic situation, about grief, and, mm. and that they're grappling with kind of real feelings and emotions in mostly an intelligent way, even if thing from a script point of view, it doesn't quite get to where it wants to. Um, mm. Or it doesn't quite get to where it wants to from a truth perspective. We're ending on uh, Roxette must have been love. <laughs> okay. C plus for the face of love, and mm. but see it for the performances. If nothing else, it's ninety minutes. Right. Okay. Right. So, I see that you leave me with the plot of Winter's Sleep. <laughs> uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm oh going god to, I'm going to uh, <laughs> get a map <laughs> <laughs> and Nicole Kidman's golden compass and try and find the. F- bloody thing the fucking plot <laughs> I, I was so close just so get close a snow there. globe and turn it round <laughs> no that was last week <laughs> with the penguins it was all about snow globes he had a snow globe of every place he'd, every zoo he'd been at <laughs> right winter's sleep Begins. How does it begin? It was so long ago. I can't even remember. It was it, so. It was so long ago. After it, just after it finished, it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it begins with uh, we're introduced to a man who is, uh, if he was uh, like hundred years ago in his passport when you had to put your occupation, he would have a gentry written in it. He's the a landowner and he's got a load of uh, people who are living on his land and they're uh, really behind on the rent. When he's driving down the road one day, uh, a little boy uh, throws a stone at his window and they uh, swerve and almost crash. They go back to the, the guy's house and um, uh, it turns out that they're in more poverty and in more of a bad situation than anyone would have ever dreamed. And... Uh, Turns out that our man, who is the uh, landlord, is a former actor uh, who, who's inherited this from uh, all from his father, and uh, he's he's very wealthy, very wealthy. He's got a young, uh, beautiful wife. His sister is uh, divorced from her husband. That she lives at uh, the hotel that they uh, own, and uh, it all basically is just a load of people having conversations for three hours. Pretty much, yeah. Uh... Um. You th- you said his occupation should be gentry. Well, that's at the beginning. That's what you think it is. You just think he's the landowner. Yeah. We're going to talk about actors later because he is an actor. Yeah. But mainly his occupation is um, know-it-all dickhead, really, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Because it's sort of... A, the longer it goes, and I think this is a clever element of the film... The longer it goes, the more you realise that he really has absolutely no self-awareness at all. Because um, he does think he's right at everything, which is not the worst thing in the world. Don't but it is, it is the worst thing in the world when you're making everyone else around you miserable. Mm. But what I think is clever about it is because the first 40 minutes when the broken window happened... And I was thinking 40 minutes in, nothing's happened in this film. Some kids broke a window, mm. you know? But when you look back on that and you see how he reacted to that, pretty much very cowardly, yeah. and let his henchmen do all the all the work, which is, 
I was really disliking that character at the beginning because you think that he's it's sort of a good cop bad cop situation where you think he's the one that's uh, the tyrant mm. um, when in fact it's more of a King John Sheriff of Nottingham no. situation where um, the you know the guy's really just on his pedestal not really caring about life and not really caring about his tenants or anything like that mm. so I think it is useful to look back on the beginning of the film when you when you've seen the rest of it well i think that ties in later as well i i think for me that i think they try in the well solan tries for the first half of the film to make this guy nice in that he's not going to um he doesn't want to um uh make them pay he doesn't want to make them pay for it he's not really that bothered he's um uh, he's just did um Responding to things like he gets a letter and um, he wants to help people, nobody else does. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, but then I do, I did even know, I did notice while he was reading that letter, the wife's reactions every time. So uh, the woman in the letter is like praising him. You, uh, yeah, you can, you, you can see there, there is a, it's, it's not, it's a very obvious foreshadowing the first time you watch it that they might be going in that direction. Um. But what I find is that, they, I mean, because I actually think the, the beginning uh, scenes with him and his sister are actually quite good because you have them just having a normal, that was, uh, yeah, gen, uh, nice uh, relationship, uh, nicely drawn relationship, and uh, they're just interesting conversations with each other. But then again, when you look back and and th- th- some of it is, oh yeah, you did a really good article, you did a really good article, and then when it comes to the one, uh, there's a scene, the shift in the film is when um, she uh, says that she doesn't like one of his articles. Yeah, when it, she challenges him. Mm. That's that. Yeah, that is when I started to really become interested in the film. Mm. And I think, I guess, the most disappointing thing for me was that after that scene, the sister's not in it. And it's like for yeah. the last last hundred minutes of the film, she's not in it at all. Oh no! Oh, so she might have a um, one more scene with um, the wife, but that's. Oh, I can't remember if that's before or after. I don't think she does. I think that's it. I yeah, think I think that's it, and it's gone. And it's like she could kill herself. You haven't got a clue. She just doesn't isn't coming out of her room. Um, it's just it 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 jettisons things uh, for 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 long periods, um, and doesn't come back to them. Um, but that's when you realise when they have that conversation that he is uh, more he cares more about himself and his own reputation than he does about his family. Well, it's kind of like it. <laughs> It's kind of like um, he's got because basically he's got uh, this sort of like job slash hobby where he uh, writes uh, essays uh, for 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 a newspaper. Yeah, and I think it's quite interesting that he writes them for a newspaper that isn't actually that big, uh, so he's not going to get challenged on it that much. And uh, it's it's one where um, it's not something that intellectual people would necessarily read because uh, she, she if she didn't know about it she'd have to dig it out. Um, and uh, it's just for like, the locals uh, that he can just talk down to, <laughs> from, from the sound of it, essentially. Um, and so, and so that then, uh, it kind of reminds me of like being online and talking about films, <laughs> message boards. It's like you've got to be right all the time. You've got to be right all the time. You, you, no one else can have a different opinion. All this sort of stuff. I mean, and obviously, I mean, we um, <laughs> very we have very different opinions a lot of the time. Yeah. You got to. This was my, this was my problem with them. I mean, you got to allow someone else to have uh, to look at the same thing and have a different viewpoint on it. I mean, 
but th- with this guy he doesn't and so I think with, this is like the example of like what happens when you can't actually separate that need to be uh, right or feel that you're proving somebody else to be wrong uh, and that bleeds into every uh, pore of your existence yeah yeah and he does it in a way that's very sneaky um, he lets them go first <laughs> yeah so, it's, so he's playing the victim card and there is a scene with his wife um, Melissa Souza who I thought was excellent I didn't know if she was excellent or just excellently fit or like okay I was getting very, kind very of, Giovanna Mezzagiorno uh, I was getting Lena Endra vibes here oh really although obviously not not that level but yeah, yeah. just the fraught kind of mm. um, yeah I, I, I thought she, she was incredibly natural obviously stunning, oh, looking, she, stunning looking woman I, I was I was going to say I think she's a bit, a bit more mannered than uh, uh, Endra I think she's there are occasions with the eye shifting where I thought but then again I'm very, I'm a bit prone to that yeah, she had it's, a lot of contempt for him, though, so that kind yeah. of made sense. I prefer her scenes towards the end where she's um, unraveling rather than when she's um, uh, just slowly simmering. I think I think I see the mannerisms, which is unusual, and I think that's the impression. Because usually, when someone's unraveling, that's when they tend to, you tend to see them pushing the act button a bit more. Whereas when someone's just uh, seething away, that's usually when you can be more natural and you can just. Um, uh, let yourself react to the situation. Mm. I do um, think she, I do think she's good. Yeah, I I want to talk about the weather. <laughs> um, Fake snow. The, the, I, the, we're back to House of Flying Daggers again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really mind that. The thing is, I just I kind of see where he's going with it, but I think he could have really made the weather a. Um, a really big part of the film, bigger than it is. Yeah, yeah. Because he sort of, I think he had an opportunity to make it a proper backdrop to the dynamics and start it, you know, start it with its setting in, with the snow setting in, with everything kind of uh, dramatically unraveling. Yeah, make it it more Ibsen-esque. The fires fires are on the way. (laughs) Exactly. And then have the Thor at the end, you know. Mm. Um, the the hangover Thor, um, so that was I mean that's a minor thing. I just mm. think he could have done that a bit better and um, and made it a bit more of a visual arc, mm. if you will. And I also think that some of his direction is too. I thought it's in climates as well. I think the fact he doesn't okay fair enough he doesn't like to move the camera it's, when it's, it's in yeah. a scene. It's everything's got to be static. Yeah, but at the same time, that means that he's got to get everything in the scene that he needs to. Yeah. So he's got to have long distance shots, like in the study. Yeah. Um, the one where the boy apologizes. Yeah. Is a big deal. I just think a medium shot would be a lot better. Do a medium shot, cut to the reactions, but because mm. he won't do that, um, we've got to get this. And I just think it takes away from the personal elements of the film sometimes. And I think, um, I think leaping on from that, I think it means that when he does move the camera, I think, uh, I think some of this was apps photographed absolutely brilliantly when the camera was actually like, mounted to the ground, or, or, or just st- st- yeah, 
when he actually has to move it, I thought half of the time it was seamless and half of the time it was clunky as anything. And yeah. I think it, I think there were times when it did really bring attention to itself. Uh, but when when he's actually just got the got the landscapes and he's got the uh, architecture, it's uh, wonderfully photographed. Yeah. If it was on Instagram, there would be a lot of uh, Pierre Lechep likes this. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think it's too long? Yes. It's, yeah? yeah. Do you think it's the beginning? Do it needs trimming? Or no, I think it's the end. I think the problem. I think no. I don't think it's necessarily trimming. I think it's where they go with it. I think the pace could be okay, and I think the length could be justified. But I think when you get to uh, the scenes like where the wife um, uh, decides to, do, uh, to take the envelope. Yeah. Once she's there, it's really obvious what's going to happen. Yeah, and, I didn't know that. And it just... Uh, oh, it, when you, when that's your one of your uh, dramatic uh, conclusions to your dramatic arcs, it makes me think, really, I'll come all this way for this. And um, I think given the sort of general... Um, I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily mind the wongishness of the end, <laughs> but <laughs> when, but when there's been nothing like that before, it is like somebody else directed the last five minutes of the film. And uh, I think uh, I in- think it's just again the fact he didn't know where it, when to end it. Like Anatolia, I felt the same way. Just didn't know how to end the film, so it kind of just peters out. It reminds me a bit of. Um, a little bit of that uh, tur- uh, Turkish film I saw at uh, Berlin uh, y- y- last year, uh, Jin, where it, the, there were moments where you could have ended it and you think, yeah, that would have been great. Um, but um, they just go a couple of scenes too long. I think with this, there are, it, it, I would don't I don't like the, the last couple of scenes, but it's just more because it doesn't mesh with what's gone before necessarily. So when you've got the arcs of the of the drama which isn't really that much because it, for the most part it is just people talking yeah. uh, but then again it's not that people talking can't be dramatic but uh, nothing is really uh, you haven't got a resolution that is particularly satisfactory to the plot strands that's the point I'm trying to make uh, when you when you piggyback that end which is stylistically different to everything else and really um, uh, emo- emotionally different to everything else as well because suddenly this voiceover comes from nowhere and uh, it's a uh, Doing all the things that uh, haven't happened uh, previously in the film, uh, character-wise, uh, plot-wise, uh, uh, star-wise, it doesn't sit well with me. But yeah, I did like the end um, in terms of his character. It's like Antonioni as a seat, as an end on its own. I think that would work. Yeah, just not with what all that's gone before. It's 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 just it's like Antonioni with um, Leclis when you when you take that. That bit, that end out of it, and you put if you put it in a documentary and said this is Turkish cinema introductions to Salan. Um, here's a scene from here's a, here's a scene from Salan. If you, it's like if you took the, it, uh, but I still think this works in the everything else. If you took the um, Rachel McAdams, uh, the whole uh, end of her character into the Wonder, you took that whole sequence which is very gothic, yeah. and uh, you'd say this is a, a Terence Malick a, a two minute montage slash um, scene. Um, I think that works much better in and around everything else than this does. You could even have her just posting the money mm. and going away and then have the scene at the end and then maybe have him walking away drunkenly in the thaw. Like I think, I think he, things were thawing. 
I think with where they want to go with it, they they need to have uh, her completely devoid of any any hope that uh, the situation can change, and that yeah. she can. That I think it has to. I think she has to be completely desolate by the end, in order for where they go with the end to um, uh, be the way he wants it. But the way I think the way they went about it, um, I get why they've. Got, I, I get the choice. It just doesn't. It's not. It's just not satisfactory when you when you've when they've not been going that way before it just seems it seems like they've just tried to go for the most dramatic uh, visual mo- slash moment possible when uh, it's like they think they've gone all uh, Larry Olivier and Rebecca that's what that's what that's what that scene feels like they're trying to do but it's this isn't the film for that B minus yeah um oh it has its strengths. It really does. It does. And oh, it, it's exactly the same again. It's, it's another five slash six. I think it's okay, but I think there's a lot of issues. Um, yeah, five out of ten, three stars. All the fives. Mm. It's like I'm. A, it's like I'm a, a gambling. Mo- I'm a gambling machine at the moment. Hit <laughs> all fives, win the jackpot. I, I've won the jackpot. I had a really, really average week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little bit um, about films about actors. Fictional actors. Fictional actors. Yes, specifically fictional actors. I'm going to start us along with... 1950. No. Really? I know where you've gone there, but... Well, not. no, which, which one? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to go um, Postcards from the Edge. Right, nice. Meryl Street film... Mm. Love that uh, the first scene of the film is actually her acting, mm. even though you're not really sure. Um, and it's a complete satire written by Carrie Fisher. Mm. Um, I mean, Shirley MacLaine's obviously Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, satire about Hollywood and um, the travails of Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, 1950 is the obvious one with them. Um, I prefer Swanson of the two. Um, again, uh, uh, toss a coin for me. I don't really care, but yeah, mm. yeah. Um, actors, actors, actors. I really like Soap Dish, which is another 90s film starring Sally Field as a soap opera actress. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Worth a watch. Um, the Bad and the Beautiful is um, no, not the Bad and the Beautiful. Barefoot Contessa, is that the one you mean? No, the Bad and the Beautiful. Lana Turner and um, best Lana Turner's ever been. Better than Imitation. Um, <laughs> on that, on that level. Yeah, it's close. Oh, uh, uh, people say Peyton, oh, Peyton Place is the one she got Oscar nominated for, but I don't think no, that. No. no. That was just the thing is, Peyton Place was actually my mother when I told her that she said that she was banned from seeing it when she was a child because of, because it was just considered filth. Which makes you think, oh, I'll watch it. But when you watch it, it's not really. It's it's like Baby Doll. It's like I suppose Baby Doll's like the dirtiest film ever at the time. But really, it's just that some guy wants to sleep with someone else's wife. Watch the bad seed instead. Now that's juicy. Mm. You seen the bad seed? No. Oh, you've got to watch it. It's brilliant. Uh, what else have we got? I'm sure there's a 
Bergman film or two I could name. <laughs> oh, Wild Strawberry. No, he's not an actor in that, is he? Um, no, he's a professor. Um, there's lots of dancers. Directors. There's an actor. Hmm. So, oh, uh, The Hottest State. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> a failed actor. Yeah, or wannabe actor. Uh, the Barefoot Contessa, as she mentioned earlier, which Ava Gardner's very good in. Mm. She was very good in a lot of things. Well, yeah. I mean, I can't believe that woman thought she couldn't act. Insane. Deluded. Night, Night of the Iguana. Oh. Bowani Junction, Junction isn't a good film, but she's very good in it. Yeah. But, I, I, but I mean, The Night of the Iguana, that was just made for me, that film. Magambo, she's great in. She's pretty good in that. Grace Kelly was still too stiff then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any more? On the, for, for Ava, or uh, active? Oh, active. <laughs> what about Stage Door? Have you seen that? Though? I have seen that. Um, I thought it was quite good. But, Very um, entertaining. Mm. Uh, is The Hard Way? Is that? Yes, That's I love the hard like, way. I love the hard way. But the thing is, I love the hard way in the way that I love Nick and Noah's Infinite Playlist. It's um, <sighs> it's a film that I would always watch if it was on, and I do find it very, very funny. But um, it's it's not good. It's an eight out of ten at, at best <laughs> for nostalgia. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So Shag Mary Kill. Right. Uh, so I've got well, the this three. is interesting because yeah, all, all yours the are the same. Yeah. No, no, uh, this is actually really obvious. Uh, I would shag, as in watch again right now. And uh, What was the name again? <laughs> no, <laughs> no but this I, is so Yeah, but I would shag Winter's Sleep because I wouldn't want to watch it every weekend for the rest of my life. But I don't <laughs> think it doesn't have a reason to exist. Exactly. Uh, Get Santa would be a very easy watch for the rest of my life, uh, even even in the uh, long summery uh, d- d- nights. Uh, so I would marry that. And The Hobbit really has no reason to exist in this format. So I'd quite happily desolate it. Okay. This is difficult for me. Mm. Um, because I think I'm going to have to kill Get Santa. Because nah. it has the least reason to exist. Mm-hmm. Marry the face of love because I can't marry Winter Sleep. No. Because it's too long. Uh and grueling, so I would chuck Winter Sleep too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Olsen Factor. Right. Okay. Uh, the, get... Is this the penultimate Olsen Factor of the year? Are we? Uh, probably, probably. Um, uh, not of the year ever. I mean, are we? Gonna... Oh, are we changing up again? Do you want to do Chastain whenever we do? Um, do we shift to Chastain whenever we do? Um, uh, Most Violent Year. Yeah. End of January. That is. When? Well, we could do we... that. Yeah, because that is <laughs> that's horrible. But that's Oscar as well. I can have Oscar again. Have somebody else that week then. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, or we might have a Chastain film before that. Um, I think she's a good. I think she's a good parameter. Um, so uh, get Santa, uh, Jodie Whittaker. I think we each, the same as last week. Um, there isn't really anybody else, is there? In get Santa. Uh, no. Right now. Well, just just the parole officer. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, Kate Blanchett's in it. Uh, I don't think she would ever have been a yes. 
the woman who is the uh, dwarf uh, luster is is someone called Evangeline Lily. Who I don't think I've seen anything actually. Someone called Evangeline. You've never heard of Evangeline Lily? No, I don't. Are you kidding me? I don't recognise her either. Oh, she's in Lost. Yeah. I never, never. I watched like the first three episodes of Lost and then gave up because I just realised they were just messing with you for no reason. Is there a word for dwarf um, lusting, dwarf fetish? Sure, there must be. <laughs> you, I'll, I'll mind. Have Z- Zolaring. Look. What? Zolaring. <laughs> Jody uh, Morrising. <laughs> So is Evangelina yes? Uh, no. I don't know what she looks like normally, so should I be kind and say say do because of the ears and everything? Yeah, probably. Um, it's Morphophilia. Morphophilia. <laughs> Winter's Sleep. Uh, poor man's Giovanna Mezzagiorno Quattro Formaggio with cheese. Uh, who's Melissa Soja? Is that who you're Soze. saying? Soze. Soze. Like Kaiser Soze. Kaiser, Kaiser Soze. Um, I am going to. Oh, it's tough. It really pretty, is tough. pretty good. It is pretty tough. I've got to. Have I got to remember how dishevelled uh, Olsen <laughs> looked in Godzilla when it was right when it was like raining? <laughs> she, 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 like, but then she, that's the thing. I mean, that that is this is the problem. Dishevelled Lizzie Olsen in uh, Godzilla. Uh, yeah, obviously uh, Melissa wins. At the beginning, uh, no, I'm going to um, beginning. It's, Lizzie wins. Let's put it it's that way. inconsistency. Well, you better hope we don't know. I mean, Jessica Chastain might lose an arm halfway through the most violent year. <laughs> <laughs> the title isn't encouraging. Well, so you're going for okay. Yes, so you you win the league through consistency. So we'll go with her then. Uh, good point. Um, so it's a awesome factor two. Right. Okay. <laughs> you win the league through consistency. <laughs> <laughs> the Isaac range. So we're going to start with Get Santa. Mm. Rafe's ball is a no. Mm. Um. Anybody else? Is there? Uh. No. Okay. No. Um. The face of love. Everybody's old, um, which was perfectly fine in the context of the film. I enjoyed mm. film about older people. However, I did... <laughs> did not horn over the older people. Indeed. And winter sleep. Well, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I wasn't fully on board with the film for the first half. I liked the second half better. Mm. So when that guy goes off on the motorcycle, yeah. I was kind of like wanted to go with him <laughs> in the Che Guevara motorcycle diaries moment, as opposed to a uh, Colin Firth going to the Quickie Mart in <laughs> in nineteen sixty two kind of moment. <laughs> Definitely, although that some of that might have been welcome in winter sleep, quite frankly. Um, but I I didn't think there was anything. That stood out enough in winter sleep, no. although the um, the prison, the prison father w- wasn't too shabby either. But mm. no, so it's a, a one point on the range. Mm. Okay, so we have a website. It's moveforpodcast.com. You can submit any questions. You can check out all our grades for everything. The end of December is coming, so 
we will have everything from December that we've seen on the podcast mm. on that list. Yeah, I've got to make a list, haven't I? Well, we've got it. It's on the podcast. It's on the website. No, I mean, I've got to make a list for like the end of the year. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, so next week, the only thing that's really out is Dumb and Dumber 2. Yeah. And I haven't seen Dumb and Dumber. I have, but not for like a good 15 years. But, I mean, when they when the trailer came out, I was thinking, really, is this a big deal? Were people clamouring for this? Well, they certainly haven't clamoured for it when it's been released, so... <laughs> um, but what we could do is we could have a catch-up week. That is a possibility, and we could... Is there anything that you want me to catch up with in general? And what, apart from like nineties, early nineties cinema starring uh, former sick people who end up in sitcoms or that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. What about next score wins? Well, you can watch it if you want. I don't. I don't. I don't physically need you to watch it. <laughs> okay. I am going to watch it, but mm. I don't know when. C- Christmas morning. <laughs> No. <laughs> I'm Hang- not up early enough. Hangover. Yeah, that as well. Um, so what we do next week? As little as possible. Okay. So to tune in for that. To quote Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Uh, if uh, we, ninety percent assume we're not going to have anything. Uh, if we suddenly see, see a rash of films, then if not, it'll be the thirtieth. Uh, Recording on the thirtieth, yes. Out, out on New Year's Eve. Out, out on the thirtieth as well. Yep. So we will be, if we're on the thirtieth, we will be talking about Unbroken. Any preconceptions about Unbroken? Nope. What about Jack? Jack the lad. Um. Oh, well, I like him, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily know enough about the character to know if he was going to be good or not in it. Oh, we do have Amy Adams as well, um, which is always a, always a plus at last. Right out to end with that now. <laughs> I think we started with it when it got to, um, what was it, Kira in um, Anna Karenina or something? It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we might also have Exodus, Gods of Kings. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. Why? Uh, Ridley Scott Ep- doing Epic. Okay, it's the week of the epic, really, isn't it? Do you have a jam? I do. It's um, Nicki Minaj's entire album, <laughs> which is called The Pink Print. Well, if you're doing an entire album, then it, uh, my current jam is the Lanterns on the Lake album, which isn't the current one. Uh, so it's the one from like two or three years ago. But the song I like the most off it is Lungs Quicken. Lungs Quicken? Mm, it's the first one on the, on the album. Okay. It's like basically think Damien Rice it with a girl who can sing singing uh, and a bit more uh, airy dreamy guitars in the background. And Natalie Portman walking down the street in mm, thigh high boots. <laughs> yes, yeah, say do. You keep saying you've got something for me. Something you call love, but confess 
messing where you shouldn't have been a messing. And now someone else is getting all your best. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. You keep lying when you ought to be true then And you keep losing when you ought to not bet You keep saying when you ought to be a chain pin Now what's right is right, but you ain't been right yet These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you You keep playing where you shouldn't be playing And you keep thinking that you'll never get burned A brand new box of matches, yeah And what he knows you ain't had time to learn These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Are you ready, Boots? Start walking. 